Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Those are verses 6 through 9 of Psalm 45, which is the psalm appointed for today, June the 1st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I read that that particular psalm, which is the psalm appointed for today, and that psalm is written as an ode to a king, actually. And so when you, when you read that, the first way to read it is to read it as though it were written about a man who is the king, literally, of Israel. But the, the deeper meaning of it is speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rules over all, the one who is the messianic king overall. And so when we read Psalms like that, it's not that they don't have meaning for us because we don't have kings. No, it, it points to a higher meaning. It points to this other king who exceeds all earthly kings in every single way. And so that's the way to read Psalms that are written in that way, just so you'll know. <laughs> so we're continuing today in Deuteronomy and Second Corinthians and also in the Gospel of Luke. And, and we're continuing directly on from where we were yesterday in Deuteronomy 11, and now we're into Deuteronomy 12, the first 12 verses. And remember yesterday what um, Moses was saying to the people is if you're careful to observe um, the commandment to love the Lord your God and serve him with your all your heart and all your soul, then all things will go well with you in the land. However, if you turn aside and you follow after other gods, then things will go badly for you and you'll be ejected from the land. It will fail to, to provide its increase for you, And so his remedy for that, the way of making sure that they do it, is to say, write it on your fence posts and your door posts and put it on frontlets on your, before your eyes and phylacteries and, and put it on your arm and, the, and keep the tefillim around you. Always to be reminded of the Word of God. Always to be reminded of Him so that you don't forget Him. It, it's important that we fill our lives with Him and in everything that we do. So now he's continuing on for that when saying these are the statutes and rules that you'll be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. And the first thing he tells him to do is when you come into the land, you're going to find altars and places where the, the inhabitants of the land worship their gods. And the first thing you've got to do is tear all those things down, remove them from the land. They pollute the land. And these are, there'll be a temptation and a snare to you if you don't remove them. And the proof that, that they, these gods are as nothing is your conquest of this land. And so they're, they're commanded to go and chop down the altars, the carved images of their gods, and destroy their name out of the place. Go to all the high places and take these things down. And then wait and seek the place the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And we know that they had other places of worship along the way before they finally were were led into Jerusalem and to build the temple there. So for a long, long period of time, until the time of David, or actually until the time that Solomon, his son, erected the temple, um, they were worshiping in a tabernacle most of that time. There was a place, the house of God was at Beth El, and there was another place at Shiloh. And so there were places where worship happened, where, where sacrifices were made, but those were provisional and shorter-lived kinds of 
places than the temple in Jerusalem itself. And one of the places, one of the things that we, we need to know as, as people who are interested in and reading the Word of God, and it'll come up in the lesson today from the Gospel, is, is that the Samaritans, that group of people who lived in Samaria, those people believed that they were worshiping in the place that God had shown them. And that's the argument that the Samaritan woman at the well makes with Jesus is, is that your people say that we're supposed to worship on that mountain and ours say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. So there's been this discrepancy between my tribe and your tribe for a very long time over this. And, and they believed that they had kept the religion pure and undefiled and were continuing to worship in that place. They didn't have the prophets. They didn't have anything, including kings, for instance. They didn't have any of those things after the five books of Moses. And so here, what what Moses is telling the people is, is that when the Lord shows you that place, then build that place and stay there. You're not going to have a, a, a bunch of different places to worship. There's going to be one place where the entire nation will worship. And that worship has to do with the sacrificial system because that's what he tells them. There you'll go and there you'll bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions and vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of the herd and the flock. And then this is the important thing. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord has, God has blessed you. And so what he's saying is, is that you're going to bring offerings, all the things that are commanded that they sacrifice to the Lord. And it's a sacrifice and that this belongs to me. But what I recognize is that it's all on loan from you. I get everything I have simply comes from you. That I, that I didn't gain these things by myself. If, if you didn't bless the work that I do, then I wouldn't have this. And so, you know, normally we, we don't think of, of coming and bringing our tithe and, then, and rejoicing in that place, but that's exactly what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to rejoice over all that the Lord has given us. We're supposed to rest in Him. And that's exactly what Moses is telling them. You're not going to get rest until you get to the place where you can have this sort of worship. And he says, now don't do according to what we're doing here today, everyone doing right in his own eyes. And this is exactly what it says in the time of the judges that the people had devolved into was everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They weren't looking at God through God's eyes about how they should be acting and what they should be doing. And he says, look, you, so you can't do that. When you come into the land, there's a whole different set of rules. There's a whole different way to live once you get into the land in order to possess that land and live in it the way the Lord is showing you. And, and then he keeps on. But when you go over to the Jordan, over the Jordan and live in the land the Lord your God is giving you, and he gives you rest from your, all your enemies around you so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, you'll bring all that I command you. And he goes through that same list again of all the things they're supposed to bring there. But then he says, and again, you'll rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and male servants and female servants and the Levites that is within your town since he has no portion or inheritance with you. There's a place where they're commanded to come and bring their offerings, but, but not out of um, fealty, but, but in rejoicing, because they're, they're not bringing just the fruit of their labors. They're bringing the fruit of the labor that they have been given by God, and they're given the, the abundance that's here as, as opposed to any other place on earth, because God's making them fruitful. He is blessing them with the power of his spirit. He's blessing the land with the power of his spirit. He's reversing the curse. Remember that says you will only get from the land the, the, the 
the sweat of, from the sweat of your brow. And, and here what he's saying to the people is, is that once you come into the land, as you're my people, so long as you keep my word and you continue to pursue me, then I will abundantly bless the work that you do. It'll be different from the rest of creation because you're being blessed by me and you're my people. And so, so the fruitfulness of the land will be super abundant because of God. And that is why they come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, right? Um, they come rejoicing because, wow, this would not be possible anywhere else on earth and with any other God. And so th there should be this rejoicing because they have rest. And, and that's the important thing is, is that he's giving them rest from their labors by providing this superabundance because of their faithfulness and his love and his faithfulness and commandments to them. And that, I think, is the thing that we miss when we think about rest. We enter into God's rest by following him and obey, obeying him, being obedient to his word in loving him, loving his son, and loving one another. And, and it's important that we not lose sight of the blessing of rest that we're given because we know in the end that he will provide for us and that all things are in our hands because of him. It's, it's important. Um, and it goes back in some ways to Noah, actually, in a strange way, this whole rest theme. Um, when Lamech fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That's, that's what Noah means, is, is this rest. And so, but Noah didn't bring them into that rest. It was going to be God who brings them into the rest, into the land that he is giving them. And so we just have to follow him in order to enter into his rest. And it's important that we pursue that rest. Here in this passage from the gospel, it's, there's some things that are odd. And, and <clears throat> here again we are with the Samaritans. And then I mentioned earlier, but there's different ways of living in the land that they've got to live there differently. And so what we end up with is Jesus is passing between Samaria and Galilee. Uh, and he enters a village and he's met by 10 lepers. And they did what lepers are required to do. They stood at a distance and, and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Well, why in the world would he do that? Well, that's exactly what you had to do. If you had leprosy, when you were cleansed of that leprosy, then, then you showed yourself to the priest and he would certify that cure and then you would make an offering and that offering happens to be a sin offering. It's connecting leprosy with sin. And, and the, the way that it's um, described in, in the Old Testament and the sages is, is that it is indeed the result of a sin, but it's a sin that can only happen when they possess the land. It, it's, it's, it's bringing dishonor on the name of God through gossip, essentially, and through criticism of, of leadership and, and criticism in the community. It's, it's tearing a community fabric apart with your words. And, and so that, that what they're saying is, is that God would put this curse on the leper. So it's not necessarily just a communicable skin disease. No, they say it's a punishment for a particular sin is the way they understand Tazria. And so the, the these would have been those who had sinned. And so that they're told to go show themselves to the priest. Jesus has yet to make the final sacrifice for sin. So they show themselves to the priest is, is the requirement. And then they have to make this sin offering in order to be restored to the fellowship of the community. They have to acknowledge that, that their problem 
the reason they had to be outside the community, the reason they had to stand at a distance, is, is that they, they had sinned against the community. And so in order to be restored to fellowship with the community, they had to provide the appropriate offering for that. So it's obviously something other than just a sickness that's on, on these people because it requires that sin offering. And as they went, to, to in, in faith, believing that Jesus, when he sends them to show themselves to the priest, that he, they will be cured by the time they get there is, is their belief. They, otherwise, they wouldn't walk away that way. So they had faith in him. And then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then it says, now he was a Samaritan. Well, where's he going? He's not going to the same place they are. They're going to Jerusalem, and they're going to go back and show themselves to the priests in Jerusalem. And this one he doesn't belong in Jerusalem. <laughs> he belongs somewhere else, and so he, he belongs in Samaria. So <clears throat> Jesus asks, you know, hey, weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus healed him. And he was alone the one who came and gave thanks. I mean, you can come and give thanks to the one who heals you and then go your show yourself to the priest. Here, it's only this foreigner, and it's partially because he, didn't, he couldn't go with the rest of them so long as they were all going to Jerusalem to show themselves to the priesthood. It's, it's certainly a different kind of a, an outlook, but, but that's that kind of rejoicing. He's given rest. He's being made whole. All of them were being made whole, but he alone was the one who came and gave proper rejoicing and thanksgiving to Jesus, the one who had healed him. He got to see something nobody else did, and he got to receive this blessing from Jesus as well. And, and Paul says, you know, he says, our, our thing is we've got to be careful about everything we do. He says, we don't put an obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault could be found in our ministry. Um, he's not taking money. He's not doing anything that would, that would cause others to look at what he's doing and say, well, he's doing it for ulterior motives. He said, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And I, and I would love to see some pastor anywhere say this list that Paul gives. He said, this is how we commend ourselves by our endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. I mean, that, that is not a normal list. I mean, normally you would list it and say, well, we, we've been financially secure. We, we've not taken excess money. We've not done all these things. But but we don't even talk to people anymore about we're proving ourselves to be genuine through endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments. No, no, we don't, we don't talk about any of that. I mean, when, when we're looking at God's blessing on people anymore, that's not, we don't even think of those things as being any sort of proof that they're following God because we're taught in too many places that, that in the, the result of following God is this blessedness that keeps you from most of those things. And, and it's a false gospel. Paul wouldn't recognize it at all. He said, we're treated like imposters, but we're true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And then he goes on to say, this is the most important thing, and it's the way that we need to speak to other people. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open 
you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Be like us. Our hearts are wide open. Open your hearts as well to others, to love others. Don't hold this thing all in to yourselves. Show unrestrained joy to share the gospel with others and to worship the living God. It's the most important thing. Don't allow yourself to be restrained or restricted in your worship and your love of God, and, and your proclamation of the gospel. He's just saying it's all important. Watch who you are. Be able to do anything God might ask you to do in order that you might give glory to Him. Be willing always to rejoice in whatever your situation and be quick to ascribe honor and glory and power and majesty and thanksgiving and worship to him.